It's Wednesday, April 20th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio and Supernova, Matt Argusinger and Simon Erickson. Happy Wednesday, Jess. Hey, 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 hey there, Chris. Chris. Palooza is kicking into high gear. Thank God. The day we don't have to worry about the news ferry. It just, it just keeps on. He, she just keeps on giving the, this, every These day. are the days where the news ferry is a nuisance. We don't want the news <laughs> ferry. She's giving us too like much. This, you know, because then it, it forces us to choose. But we've got, uh, we've got the latest from Coca-Cola, Yahoo, Intuitive Surgical. We'll dip into the full mailbag, but let's start with Intel. First quarter profits came in higher than expected, Simon. That doesn't appear to be the headline, though, because they lowered guidance and they are cutting about 11% of their workforce. That is that is not insignificant. 12,000 jobs, right? And this should surprise absolutely no one because PC shipments have just been declining for year over year for the last five years, Chris. Uh, hit the peak in 2011. We've seen year over year PC shipments decrease each year since then, about 300 million shipments last year. But just like Intel is right in the middle of it, PC chips are less in demand right now by the global market. So, what do you do? You go out and you try to buy growth. Uh, we saw Intel acquire Altera last year, you know, $16.7 billion acquisition. Broadcom did the same thing with Avago, $37 billion acquisition. You want to expand and get more content with, with existing customers, buy another customer list and get bigger, but it's a challenging environment out there, to say the least. We talked about that last year. when I remember because when they bought Altera, we were sitting in this studio essentially saying, well, sure, they've got the money. But what are they going to do with this thing? Right. Well, and and I have to say, I mean, yes, because I think Simon's right. There's just so much consolidation. The overall pie is shrinking in so many markets. At the same time, I feel like I've read almost every quarter that Intel's cutting several thousand jobs. I'm wondering who's left working there at this point. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's I can't imagine what their workforce is today compared to say five years ago. I mean. It must be. It could be in half. I don't know for sure. But and they're trying to get more and more custom chips, right? So this is not about just the processors that are in PCs anymore. The Internet of Things. We talk a lot about that. Uh, autonomous cars. Those are going to need some smart chips in them too. Altera was was making programmable logic chips, which are custom designed. They're able to do very specific things. And the future of smart devices. It's out there, but it's not there today. And that's why you see twelve thousand jobs getting laid off. Do you think? Because the stock is up a little bit, and time and time again, we see a comp- company X comes out, good quarterly results, they lower guidance, and guidance trumps result uh, results, and the stock drops. We're not seeing that today. I'm assuming it's because of the job cuts. And so, do you think the optimism in Intel and the management is warranted? I think it's it's difficult to say today, Chris, because I think that demand is going to be the name of this. Right now, efficiency is the name of the game. You're cutting jobs, you're trying to vertically integrate, you're going out and buying growth like we've seen in semiconductor companies out there. The to-be-determined piece is going to be, is demand going to be what we think it is out there? There's a lot of demand, like we said, from Internet of Things, smart devices, all of these have semiconductor and processing chips in them. We haven't seen that demand yet. I think that's the question mark that has to be answered before you can pay the valuations for an Intel that you're seeing right now. All right, let's move on to Yahoo. And I had said on the podcast yesterday that the first 78 questions during the conference call were going to be about the sale of Yahoo. And we'll get to that. <laughs> but anything stand out in terms of the quarterly results, Matty? 
Not really. Unfortunately, more of the same. You know, revenue was down 11. percent The uh, the search business continues to suffer at Yahoo as as it has for a long time. Paid clicks were down 21. percent uh, You know, I was looking back. You know, Mar- Marissa Meyer, she's been at Yahoo almost four years, and if you look at back in 2012. Yahoo's revenue that year was just under five billion. Well, the revenue of the last twelve months, four point four point eight billion. So slightly down in four years. And you think about all the changes, the moving parts, the acquisitions, and to really not see any kind of revenue growth uh, is pretty astounding. It's still this is a business. I mean, that generates a lot of cash, about a billion dollars per year in operating cash flow, which is why, of course, we'll we'll get to it. Why there's interest on you know on the acquisition side. Still about a billion unique visitors per month to Yahoo, uh, Yahoo Properties, which is impressive. And of course, you've got the 15% stake in Alibaba still, big position in Yahoo Japan. There is obviously there's value, there's assets that people want, um, and there's a business that's still generating a lot of cash. Over and over on the conference call, Marissa Meyer communicated a very clear message, which is, we are taking this sale very seriously. And when you look at some of the operational moves that Yahoo has made in the last three months, it absolutely looks like they're walking the walk on this one. They're they're shutting down offices in different locations. They are closing down different verticals that haven't been as strong as some of the other ones. Yesterday, we talked a little bit about Yahoo Sports and Yahoo Finance being among the stronger verticals. So, I think Verizon's the lead horse. I agree. And what has Verizon done in terms of acquisitions in the past, in terms of how they go about them? Do they just write a big check? Is there stock? I'm trying to think in terms of Yahoo shareholders or anyone who's looking at this thinking, well, wait a minute. If there is the value there, maybe I should buy a couple of shares of Yahoo just because maybe they do get bought out at a premium. Well, we can use the latest example for Verizon, right? When when they acquired AOL last year, you know, similar business to Yahoo, uh, they paid all cash, four point four billion dollars. Uh, I think it was a fifty dollar takeout price, and so AOL shareholders got a nice return. That business had kind of a, a renaissance there for a few years, and they got a buyout price uh, from Verizon. Can't really do that with Yahoo. I, th- I think Verizon is is the clear leader. They bought. If you look at why they did the AOL deal, it was really to expand mobile video advertising, uh, and they can do that. They can do a lot of that with Yahoo as well. But Yahoo's of course got a thirty five billion dollar price tag on it right now. There's going to be have to be probably some premium beyond that, given the number of players we have sort of in the in the acquisition hunt right now. So and Yahoo and Verizon just doesn't have the balance sheet. They have, they're a huge company, but they'd have to take on a lot of debt. To do a lot, to do an all cash deal in this case, so I think they'd probably pay with some stock if they were going to do the Yahoo deal. Whether or not that is appealing to Yahoo uh, shareholders, I don't know. Um, I have to say, just reading about you know reading about sort of the the soap opera of this acquisition, uh, it reminds me a lot of Dell a few years ago. I just feel like Dell dragged on. We knew Dell was going to go either be taken private or be acquired, and there was players coming in and out of the the deal. You had you had Carl Icahn got involved at some point. Uh, and eventually, of course, it was taken private. And uh, I just, I, I wonder how long this is going to drag out. Just given the number of interested parties and the diversity of what people want to do, either you acquire the whole company, acquire just assets of Yahoo. It'll be, it's going to be fun to watch out. Well, Maybe not fun. Well, and when Simon and I were talking earlier this morning, I, I, I thought of sort of the sports analogy where one team is looking to trade for a star player, and the opposing team says, "Okay." We'll, we'll trade our star player, but you got to take these three other players <laughs> right, too, right. who aren't as good, and they have bad contracts. And 
take those contracts, give us some cash. And that's the thing. I'm sure <laughs> if if you're Verizon, you're looking at Yahoo and you're just thinking, can we just take these segments? We're looking for, you know, it makes sense to me that Verizon is looking to add content to their pipes. So looking at Yahoo Sports, looking at finance, looking at some of the other verticals, and but. If I'm Yahoo, I'm not just I'm not just selling Yahoo Sports. No, and then I think to your earlier point was good. I think uh, you know Marissa, say what you will about Marissa Mara, she's gonna if she leaves this year, which is most likely after the acquisition, shareholders since she came in have actually done pretty well. I think Yahoo's probably about a double in stocks since she came in. I, you know, it's it's kind of underperformed the market recently, but I think she's done a good job. I mean, she certainly has a shareholder mindset, and so I think she is positioning the company as you said for a full. Sale of the company, and she she wants the highest price she can get for shareholders. Obviously, why wouldn't she? She has a lot of shares herself. Yeah, and the point, like you were making, Chris, everybody is competing for our time these days, right? Like you can only check so many apps or go on so many websites every single day. Yahoo has the right strategy. Marissa Meyer had the right strategy all along, of being, hey, we want to be a part of your habits on a daily basis, and we're going to build the products around those. I just think Yahoo was in a difficult position because they were so far behind that transition to mobile, where everyone was checking apps on on their phone. Now, I I do check fantasy football quite a bit during the season, (laughs) I will admit, but I just don't think that, that Yahoo was as established as they wanted to be in your daily habits. Intuitive surgical shares are hitting a new high today after first quarter profits came in much higher than expected. Their revenue also higher than expected. This is this is one of those quarters, Simon. This is this is why you own this stock for quarters like this. Oh yeah, beautiful razor and blades model that we've seen here with with Intuitive Surgical, and even better when the the razors and blades are both really expensive, right? Uh, Maddie, you mentioned the Renaissance earlier, talking about Yahoo. Let's talk about the Da Vinci systems that uh, Intuitive oh, Surgical is, is selling nice. for robotic surgery. <laughs> well done, Simon. Um, they shipped 110 Da Vinci systems in the quarter, and by a three-to-one margin, they're selling their newest XI systems. So these are the more expensive, um, more utility. The table moves underneath them, able to do more procedures. So you're selling at the high end of the systems, which is great when the razors are the most expensive razors you can sell. And then looking at the blades, they're just selling more and more consumables to complement those. We saw the number of procedures up 17% um, in the the previous quarter and then 14% in the previous year, mostly from general surgery, you know, in the abdomen, skin surgery, stuff like this, and urology too. So they're expanding what the Da Vinci system can actually be used for also. This is great. They're seeing further growth in 2016. This is exactly what you want to see in a company like that. Well, and and, and we'll use Renaissance again here. I mean, if you look at the stock, I'm, I'm, I didn't realize it's hitting an all-time high, but this was, go back to 2012, there was a really big slowdown. They were, they were sort of almost in that transition phase to the new platform. And there was just all questions about, well, there's going to be cannibalization, how you know, people are used to the old platform, why are they going to move up to the old platform? Plus, I remember Andrew Leff from Citron had a short short report out sure. around that same time, and the stock got you know got really butchered at that point. But gosh, it's up; it's almost doubled since that low. So, and like you said, talking companies at an all time high now, right? PE is still at forty, which is rich by by many investors' bloods. But keep in mind also, seventy five percent of revenue is now from recurring sources. Great to see the in- instrument and accessory revenue is growing sixteen percent plus a year. That's even higher than the top line is growing. So you've got a modelable company. Wall Street likes predictable, modelable companies, and they're willing to give those PEs that are that are high, like in the forty range. I'm reminded a little bit of Caterpillar in the standpoint from the standpoint of if you think about who Caterpillar's customers are, it's huge businesses, it's countries 
that are making major purchases. And they have to be planned out, in some cases, years in advance. And in the case of intuitive surgical, albeit on a smaller scale, you have kind of the same thing going on, where hospitals are saying, okay, do we want to write a seven-figure check for this surgical system? And if so, when do we want to write it? We have to plan for that, all that sort of thing. And so, just selling a few extra machines in a given quarter makes all the difference in the world. Huge upfront costs. And you look at those customers, too. Talk about Caterpillar. You're, you're using machinery that's going to be constructing a giant construction project, putting up a building, you know, doing something really big. It has to be dependable for you. Quality and brand really matters for a company like that. Intuitive Surgical, probably the most important industry of all healthcare for something that has to work well, and you want to go with a company that's the leader. Intuitive Surgical has been at this for years. It's been a multiple recommendation on the Rule Breaker scorecard as we just saw that platform growing. I think it's in a great place right now. Coca-Cola's sales fell for the fourth straight quarter, and uh, I know, Maddie, that the strong dollar hurts Coca-Cola because about three-quarters of their business is outside the United States. But I'd just like to point out that sales fell for the fourth straight quarter. Right. <laughs> and it, it is. It is remarkable because we are talking about Coca-Cola. Speaking of predictable and modelable, right? I mean, it's it's one of those businesses that just, um, you know, you don't expect really any downside, right? I mean, the, the world consumption of, of fizzy or non-fizzy beverages should continue to rise as, as wealth expands and emerging markets grow. But it's been tough. It's been tough going for Coca-Cola. It really is because people are consuming less soda. Good thing for health reasons. I mean, especially in, in North America. Uh, and They've done really well in sort of the still beverages, waters, teas. Uh, it just hasn't been enough to offset kind of what they're seeing in the soda markets. Uh, so, I'll say this too about Coca-Cola: the and in, actually the entire consumer staples sector. Really, it this was an expensive stock. It is an expensive stock, even and going into the quarter. So, I'm not surprised that, that it's selling off a bit after these earnings. And uh, you know, even if you think. Dollar maybe stabilizes or even weakens, so that helps Coca-Cola. Maybe soda stops declining, it flattens out, and then they have some wins on the on the still beverage side. This isn't a business I expect to grow more than say the pace of of global GDP. So maybe low single digits uh, over long periods of time, and yet the stock is trading for about 23 times this year's earnings. It's a pretty high valuation. That's, that's pretty. Pretty That's high. pretty spicy for a business as mature as Coca-Cola. Right, it's mature, and it, of course, and Coca and Coca-Cola deserves a premium. I think it's a premium business with with huge competitive advantages. Dividend now is over three percent, so there's there's some value potential in the stock, but not I don't think at this price. Yeah, for anyone who looks at Coca-Cola and thinks, well, I'm I'm going to buy this for the dividend portion of my portfolio. You can do that, but the stock is down about 4.5% today, which is the biggest drop in a couple of years, and has essentially wiped out the dividends of the last 12 months. Right. Right. And so, yeah, this is this is a tough one. I feel like this is it's a consumer staple, and it's a staple in many people's portfolios. At this price, I don't, I don't know what kind of total return you can expect from here. MarketFoolery at Fool.com is our email address from Andy Storch in Orlando, Florida. In January of 2011, I was 31 years old and just moved from Los Angeles to San Francisco to start a new job. I had some money from an old 401k to invest, so I went looking for investing podcasts and coincidentally found yours the first month that you started. I got hooked right away and have listened nearly every day since. I've learned a ton about investing and established my new philosophy of only investing in companies that I understand 
and want to hold for 20 plus years, which has served me well with stocks like Nike and Starbucks more than doubling since I bought them that year. Right on. Well done. Yeah. Uh, I've also uh, I've also since subscribed to several Motley Fool services and have benefited greatly from them. The highlight of the past five years was when I traveled to Sydney, Australia, for business just after Joe Mager moved down there, and I reached out after listening to him on the podcast many times. We met up for a few beers while I was down there. Thanks again for the great podcast and investing education. Here's to one thousand more. That's great. That's great. That's fantastic. Yeah. You know, Alexandria is no Sydney, Australia, but we do have good beer up here. Too. We do. We do. So, you know, Andy, if you travel, come come hang out. If, you, if your travels uh, bring you this way, uh, come on by. Uh, before we wrap up, um, I had said earlier in the week I, I wanted to say a few thank yous, and um, I, I want to thank just a couple of people. Um, one is Matt Greer, who produces our radio show and um, helped launch Market Foolery when we started. Just uh, yeah. Nearly five and a half years ago, um, and he produced the first few hundred episodes. Uh, thank you to Jeremy Phillips, who was our boss at the time, who gave us the green light, which uh, was great because Jeremy's uh, very much one of those go ahead and try it and see what you can do kind of people. And I would be remiss if I did not thank Tom and David Gardner, who founded The Motley Fool in the early 1990s, and they set the tone for everything that our company does. And it's 2016, and I've been here a long time. I'm happy to say our company is now at the point where we compete with other businesses, and that's great. It's not always easy, but it, but it's it's great to be at the point where we are competing with other businesses because when Tom and David started this company in the early 1990s, uh, they had to do a lot more than just compete. They were dismissed. They were laughed at. Uh, they were threatened, both from a business standpoint and from a personal standpoint. Uh, because here's the thing: when you seek to disrupt a massive industry, the massive industry doesn't like it at all, <laughs> no, not and all. the massive industry is going to fight back. So, thank you to Tom and David for starting all of this in 1993, and uh, we'll just see if we can keep it going. Thanks for being here, guys. All right, Thanks, thank you, Chris. As and always, thanks to Chris Hill for. All eight. Yeah, thank you also, Chris. A lot of time in the studio. Excellent. Yeah, I was going to say, the you know, staple of this show. And at no point did I decorate these drab gray walls. We got to work on that <laughs> for the next thousand shows. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. I